everyone, how you doing? Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Hefflinger Podcast. I'm here with my dad, who a lot of you may know from social media, Dr. Brian Hefflinger. How you doing today, Dad? I'm awesome. How you doing, Kevin? It's my son, Kevin, by the way. You guys probably know him too. I'm doing doing pretty good today. It's, yeah. a, it's Monday, shooting the first episode. Uh, so while we're doing this, uh, you know, over the last year since we started doing social media with my dad, uh, a lot of people have constantly requested uh, that we do a podcast or does a yeah. podcast. And it's something even a couple of years ago we used to discuss doing just to discuss ideas. So what you can expect is he's a full-time neurosurgeon. We'll talk a lot about neurosurgery and medicine. He's got a lot of subject matter expertise there. We also are very passionate about fitness, healthy healthy living, and other big causes that are pretty meaningful to us, um, including drunk driving. Um, but yeah, anything else you want to add there? No, I, I mean, a lot of people have been requesting this. We've been putting it off for a long time. And, um, you know, we're going to make it low-key, informative, try to make it a little bit fun. And um, let's get going. Yeah, so bear with us. This is our very first time. We're going to try to consistently improve over time but we also any suggestions you guys have on any of the social medias please comment uh let us know um anything we could do better or any topics you'd like us to explore but yeah um, so i'll oh, go ahead no i just I, I think one of the first things that we've been asked the most about probably is you know why why have we started into social media i think that'd be a good topic to start off yeah with. so i think i think today a uh, good beginning episode, what we wanted to talk about is why we started social media, uh, just in a kind of a life story of my dad. He's been on a couple podcasts, but I know him pretty intimately uh, as his son. And I think uh, going over that would be interesting to a lot of people, your sure. life story of why you became a neurosurgeon. Um, so yeah, why we started that on social media, why don't you kick it off with why when you created your patient videos all yeah. those years ago? So. You know, when you when someone comes in to see you for surgery um, and you talk to them in the office, they have a lot of questions. Um, you go over their films with them. You talk to them about surgery. But I think by the time they leave, a lot of that is forgotten when you leave the office because you're nervous during a visit. You may not be um, you might be thinking other things like what am I do with my dogs or my work and how am I going to take off work? So so a lot of people, when I would go to surgery with them and I'd meet them right before surgery, um, I'd ask them any questions and they'd have a lot of questions because they didn't, didn't remember what I had told them in the office. So I thought it'd be wise to create this video where it's, it kind of recreates your office visit, right? So when you come in for a visit to see me and we start talking about surgery, I'll kind of have a video that recreates that office visit. We talk about, um, you know, what your MRI may have looked up like in the office. And I'll talk about your specific surgery, go over all the details again, like we did in the office. And then I talk about all the aftercare and what to do at home, how to change your bandage, what activities you can do. And that's all wrapped up in the one, you know, 13 minute video for most of my videos. And it covers most of my surgeries that I do. So when I started doing that, I found that people didn't have questions anymore. You know, they were very comfortable. Um, people were watching it like crazy and they really liked the videos. And so Kevin had observed, observed that. And uh, Kevin's, you know, graduated from Fisher Business School at Ohio State and had a kind of business mindset. And we were thinking, you know, this might be a good idea to do for other surgeons and have other surgeons start making videos. But then even beyond that, I think he had an idea because people like the video so much and they like learning about neurosurgery that I'll let him tell you about the next part. Yeah. So I started doing it for surgeons around the Toledo area. We have multiple orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons, a cardiologist and some others. But then uh, the other year I was just actually last June is when we started mm -hmm. on social media. 
I, I mean, I, as a younger person, I'm 25. I see all these other uh, things on social media. And I wasn't really on TikTok, but I was on Instagram and YouTube. I would see all those videos and I was thinking, you know, you've got a lot of interesting stuff. And I, we had all the video content that we've already shot. So I just was thinking, let's just start there and then go from it. So we created the TikTok and relatively quickly, you can. Yeah, I got you within up. the first month or so. We had almost 100,000 followers. It was crazy. Yeah. So we just started on TikTok, but then I started seeing it, you know, putting content and growing uh, some other social channels. So like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Um, and we just slowly went from there and we just wanted to be, we started out with just neurosurgery more so, and we wanted to add in more stuff uh, about our other interests like yeah. health and then, you know, stuff involving Brian Matters, which the organization, uh, our family started for my brother who died, uh, over 10 years ago. But we slowly kind of added other stuff where like, we have this platform, we wanted to spread positivity and we wanted to spread uh, good information, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I think we wanted to try to make it um, very meaningful. Our TikTok, some of them are fun, but a lot of them are pretty serious. And I think, you know, we like to talk about meaningful topics that make a difference in people's lives. And I think the, the thousands and thousands and thousands of comments we got from people indicate that people like to, to listen to what we had to say. So we've kind of moved on from there and um we've been doing well on social media don't put out as much as we probably should but we try to we try we're we, trying to we try on that it, we, we that, try not to put out frivolous stuff to stuff that we think is really good content for people who watch us yeah and i think that's a, a thing i think some people would assume you can't just put serious stuff or other things like that people won't listen but our the most viewed tiktok it's got almost 20 million views is about in a creative way you discussing how alcohol is metabolized in the body. So yeah. if you get creative in different ways, it's not just dancing or, or silly stuff. You can really do stuff that makes an impact. And I think that's what we try to do. It's hard to come up with creative ways like that sometimes, but we're constantly working on that um, and much more to come, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's, so I wanted to dive in. That's the social media journey. I wanted to dive in and just kind of go through your life story a bit. Um, for all these people that follow you, they there's a lot they don't know of of your life so just i i guess we can if you want to talk about your early life at all through high school uh how many minutes you want me to talk? well no i'm saying just let's just give a quick overview about what, what your early life was like just childhood you had a pretty normal childhood yeah i mean we, we were just a you know my um parents we just had like a, a average i'd say a small house in an average neighborhood and and um you know I, I, my parents i only have fond memories of my parents they were loving parents and and they took care of us and um, you know, at an early age, it's different than it is nowadays. Like we, um, you know, if you wanted to make money back then, I didn't, I didn't have any way of getting money from our parents. We get, you know, a few dollars for, um, allowance, but, you know, I had a paper out from, what was it? Fourth grade to seventh grade. I'd deliver the papers every day and make $60 a month. And, and I do creative things like shoveling snow in the winter, or I had a, a, a I detail cars, you know, and, and so things like that. So I did a lot of, um, kind of creative stuff to make money when I was younger. Cause that's what I needed to do. And, and, uh, you know, when I wanted a bike, I, I bought my own bike and, and then, um, you know, I was into sports a lot in high school. And then I had, our family had moved down to Florida when I was in ninth grade and, um, we, we were down there for two or three years. And then my family moved back to Ohio and I stayed in Florida with my grandparents cause I had a job down there at a gas station was finishing up high school, had a girlfriend and I didn't want to move back. So, so they said it was fine if I stayed with my grandparents. So, um, you know, I just 
just graduated high school and I was getting ready to start college um, at the University of South Florida to go into marine biology because I really wanted to go into marine biology. I love the water and love scuba diving. And I got a call from my mom. It was early summer. I just graduated high school and my brother, Eric, who was three years older than me, he was 21 at the time. Um, he was in a bad car accident. And my mom said, you need to come back home. He's He's been to surgery in the middle of the night on his brain and he's in a coma. So I, I flew back to Toledo. First time I ever flew on a plane, I was 18 years old and um, went to the ICU at the hospital where my brother was and he was in intensive care unit. And, you know, I first saw him as his didn't look like my brother. I mean, his, grotesquely, his face is all swollen. He had head was wrapped with a monitor, a metal tube coming out of his brain. He had two tubes in his chest, a tube in his abdomen. And, and so they, they thought he was going to die. He had had brain surgery the, the night before. And then the neurosurgeon who came around, you know, he said, he's probably not going to survive, but we're going to do our best. And um, just hanging around that environment for a couple of weeks, you know, just waiting for the neurosurgeon to come around and talk to us and, and seeing that environment, I got very interested in neurosurgery. And so ultimately, uh, after two weeks, I flew back to Florida and I dropped out of my classes at the University of South Florida and decided to move home, go to college and become a neurosurgeon. And so that's why I became a neurosurgeon, just because of my brother's accident. And my brother did survive. He was in a coma for six months. And then he could he could never talk again, but he could kind of, you know, mouth words and he was paralyzed on his right side of his body. So he could never, he was never could take care of himself um anymore Wait, to jump in here yeah, yeah. my memories well, yeah you remember some. my of my uncle eric um i was all he was you know he was the life of a party he was he made one bad decision he was a very social guy he made a bad decision and i mean i think the times were a lot different there with people driving drunk well and, but it wasn't even it, it was a um i think both they I mean, got hit we by know him. yeah he got hit by a drunk driver and and um and it was just a bad accident you know yeah um and i think what I remember of him and he died a couple years after Brian's so like about eight years ago. Yeah. Um, but what I remember is he would always, he had a keyboard or he had a, uh, like a cardboard box keyboard thing. And he, <laughs> he would, he could point out words, but that he yeah. was always in a wheelchair and um, yeah, he couldn't talk, you know, he had to point out the words and he got a machine once I was t- trying to speak for him, but it never worked very well. So he would just, it was very frustrating for him, you know? Yeah. So so and, no life. I mean, have much of a life after that. Obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that shaped kind of yeah. some things for you late and we can dive into that later, but of, of how with medicine. Yeah. and So then, so then I was, um, so I followed through and I went to college and pre-med and then I got into medical school here in Toledo and I was in my second year of medical school and my mom loved to write letters to people and she's always writing every morning. And one morning I gotten up and she couldn't use her right hand hardly at all. And I, I asked her how long was that going on for? And she said, you know, a few days she's been having trouble, but she didn't tell anybody. So actually I called the neurosurgeon who had operated on my brother. He was a neurosurgeon where I was going to medical school and I told him about it. And he had my mom come in and did a CAT scan of her brain. And she had like seven tumors in her brain. And so it was cancer. So, you know, she underwent two brain surgeries, radiation, and chemotherapy, all her hair fell out. I remember her vomiting every morning. And then you know, three or three, it's from the day she was diagnosed to three months later with all of that, she ended up dying anyways. And, and that's kind of where I learned that, you know, more is not always better. And sometimes you have to think more of the patient quality of life than your own quality of life. And, but that's when it solidified that I, I definitely knew I needed to be a neurosurgeon at that point. And, um, so my mom, you know, that was just really hard thing to go through. And you were 25, right? 
Yeah, about 25. And, you know, my mom used to take care of my brother. He, he, she kept him out of a nursing home. So she kept, took care of him. That was what she devoted the rest of her life to. And then when my mom died, then my grandmother started taking care of Eric. And ultimately when my grandmother died, my dad spent the rest of his life taking care of Eric. But, um, you know, I finished up medical school and then I met, I met Cindy, um, just before the last year. Well, I met, met my wife, Cindy in between first and second year of medical school, but, um, really started dating her a little bit after that. And my mom only met her like three times, um, before she died. So, so Cindy had said, you know, we were done with medical school and we're doing the match and, you know, you have to decide what field you want to go into. And she wanted to go into pathology and I was going into nursery and we were trying to do the couples match. And, um, this is for residency for, for, residency, for yeah. people that don't. Know. Yeah. And it's harder to get in there. Nursery was a little bit harder at that point. So we were going to more likely go to a program that accepted me. And I remember she said, you know, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere with you unless we're married. Mm-hmm. So we, so we ended up, um, we ended up getting married and then, um, then we ended up getting a couple's match at the university of Rochester in Rochester, New York. And then she did her pathology residency, which was five years. And I did my neurosurgery residency, which was seven years. And then, um, after, you know, during residency, we had three children, we had Brian, Kevin and Julie, and, um, that was a busy time in our lives because I was never home. And, and, um, you know, Cindy had her own residency to do, plus she'd take care of all the kids and get them to daycare and go to residency and do her job and then come home and take care of the kids. And I sometimes wouldn't get home till eight or nine o'clock at night if I got home. And so I, I don't know how we did it through those years, but we did. And then we, um, well, just give a tip because I've heard you say it before, but it's pretty crazy. You guys like. I remember you saying to me one time, you guys would meet. The only time you could meet in the day was in the cafeteria for lunch. Or dinner. Or like, dinner. yeah, our dinners together. Like, she would come over to the hospital sometime um, before, you know, before the kids came home from daycare. She would come early, and we'd have dinner together in the cafeteria, and then she'd go get the kids, and then I wouldn't see her until sometimes the next day. That, that was routine. It was just busy. We were both very busy, had busy residencies. And, and, um, but we found time. If we had a weekend off, you know, we'd take the kids maybe hiking somewhere up up an hour away or something. So, um, so yeah. And then, then, um, and then we ended up moving back to Toledo. Um, cause that's where our families were. That's where my dad still was and her parents were still here. And, and so we came back and we, um, we had Christy, uh, two years later, our fourth child. And, um, I got into practice and, and got real busy starting out. And then, you know, my dad, it's funny. I just get home and, cause I never saw my dad much during residency cause we were so busy and, and then I just get home and I become a, a neurosurgeon and have a good practice and start making a little bit of money. And then my dad, um, he got sick and then he, he died, I think like after two years, well, two years after I got home, he died in 2001. And so I never really had a chance to, to do anything with my dad or travel with him. You know, I, I thought we'd always, when I became a nurse, and be able to do things and take him on trips and stuff like that and just never got the chance to do it. So you definitely have to um, enjoy your time with your parents while you can, because sometimes it doesn't end up being there. And then, um, you know, Cindy's Cindy's dad ended up dying shortly after that. And then, um, yeah, but also with mom at that time, my mom had been working too right up until Christy was born. Yeah. And then you guys made the decision together that you didn't want all of us to just be raised by. Yeah, you know, I, we had a nanny for a while. We don't want the kids to be raised by a nanny, so we decided to get um, to have Cindy retire. And then she took care of the kids. And, and so that was a great decision. Well, mom, yeah, it's too. Like a lot of people since I've grown up and, 
you know, a lot of people won't know that about my mom, but my mom, he's an MD. My mom's actually an MD PhD. Yeah. We got to get her on. We'll get her she to does. tell some stories. She's a pathologist. She got very interesting. She's stories. a forensic pathologist. She's kind of like CSI, just what you watch on TV, CSI. That's what she used to do. Yeah. So, so she, had, she has a lot of good stories. But yeah, so she, but I'm always eternally grateful. She decided she took it up and she raised us and she was an excellent mom. She's always provided us with so much love and support and helped us with so much stuff. So shout out to you, Cindy. I love you. (laughs) Um, So yeah, what do you think about, and I can recount some stuff too, like, but childhood, I think it's a lot different now with uh, your work compared to when you were really in the grind of it when you were starting out in your career and when we were well, young. it's interesting too. Cause I always say how busy I was, but I, I, I was in my, you know, you're kind of in your own world a little bit when you're that busy, but what would you think? Like yeah, about so, me not being home? I know. Well, I, don't I just know. know with a lot of stuff and obviously you're working and you're doing hard stuff. You had a lot of medical school debt and stuff like that. Cause you guys uh, both had to take on a lot of debt to be, to go through stuff. And so you were, you know, and you were trying to establish yourself in Toledo, I would imagine. But yeah, I remember when I was a kid, my, I mean, mom would come to everything, but like sporting events and other like school events, a lot of stuff like that. I mean, I think you made them when you could, but I, I remember you had to miss a lot of those. Um, I remember when we never had, if we had dinners to, as a family together, we would have them, you were at work usually from like five to like seven, I feel like a lot of days. Yeah, I didn't get home at seven or eight sometimes, yeah. But um, I mean, you were on trauma call and everything at that time. That's the time if people, if we were doing stuff back then, you had, would have, <laughs> anything. What, some good stories to tell? Well, yeah, because, I mean, you were doing all this stuff. I mean, you're doing that again now. You're starting back up, but uh, you were doing a lot more brain surgery back then, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, so when you do trauma call, I do probably a lot more brain surgery than normal. And, and then later years, I've been doing more spine surgery. And now now I'm back in the trauma again, so I'm seeing more um, more injuries, more, more brain injuries. Again. And for people who don't know, maybe, like, so... Let's go through trauma call versus non-trauma call and, and different stuff. So you have your your routine practice. You're seeing new patients who might come in with back pain or other pain. Right. So a lot of time you're doing a spine surgery. So right. then you know neck or spine. Um, but then you have you rotate with your partners through non-trauma call, which is any of you have done surgery. Yeah. Right? So so you have the, the difference between you know so so our regular call would just be you know practice call. So if you do surgery on a patient and they call. Uh, the office to say they're having increased back pain or they're having drainage from their incision, then you have to have somebody on call in your practice who can take that call, help them, have them come into the office, take a look at them and things like that. So that's one call. And then there's trauma call where you're on call for the hospital. So if somebody gets in a car accident and has a head injury or breaks their back or something or comes in with a brain tumor, then you're on call to see them and, and take care of them. So it's just two different yeah, types and that's of calls. The- I mean, that's the, that's the stressful one. The, right. the trauma are obviously they're both stressed, but the trauma call is much more stressful. And that's, I mean, I can remember my entire life when you get the, your pager goes off the beep, 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 or you had to go wake up in the middle of the night and go in and do a, a life-saving surgery. So I think that's uh, definitely got to be one of the harder parts of your job, I think. It is, that's the most stressful part, but you know, I mean, any surgery can be stressful, but the, you know, the more you do, the more you get used to doing surgery and then it, things just kind of fall into place. So it's really just, you got to get experience and the more surgeries you do, the more comfortable you are. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but moving, moving on, I think a huge thing, I would say you're, you, you really got established in Toledo. It's been about 15 years. We, you've been raising your family or 12, 12 to 15 years, raising your family. 
Um, and life was pretty good, wouldn't you say? We we had everything. Yeah, we had the perfect family and and the perfect life. And then um, and then my son Brian, you know, he, when he was um, eighteen, he got into a um, car accident. He he was drinking and driving and hit a tree head on, and and he um, and he died that night. And that kind of changed our life. It so changed everybody's life. Brian was a a senior in high school. He was 18 years old. He turned 18 actually like a month and a couple of days before. Uh, but he had transferred to Ottawa Hills for his senior year of high school from another local high school. Um, but yeah, he was just at a party with some friends, and he 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 was actually they actually had a DD that night. But a lot doesn't of, need a driver, yeah. But things happen, and then you know someone else stuff was going on. He ended up leaving, but. Yeah, unfortunately, out of so many people that have probably driven drunk and you never you never know, one choice, he probably, Brian was known as making, he would make a lot of good choices in his life. He was a straight-A student. He was on the Division One golf, or he was on the, not the, he was Division One at St. John's. He was, right. he was on the varsity golf team for Otto Hills. He was the yeah. second uh, player. He's a good golfer. He was almost but, scratched, not quite, but yeah. But he made all the he made a lot of choice good choice he made all the right choices honestly except that you know he made a bad decision that night and you can't really make it when you're drinking right you alcohol, can't, you can't but, make good decisions when you're drunk so but that um, was I mean that, I think that's kind of shaped the last ten plus years of all of our life after a tragedy yeah because like when, when Brian died you know I just couldn't um you know you could do one thing you could do is you could just say that Brian died and you bury him and that's the end of it and you don't do anything about it but there's no reason somebody like him should die the way he did drunk driving. It's such a preventable thing. And so we knew that we had to do something with it. And we, um, you know, we went to the local media because there was a lot of uh, things being talked about how drunk he was and uh, we're bad parents and all kinds of things. You know, he was on the news and they're talking about how his alcohol level was so high. And I just had to set the record straight. So we, we went to our local news and and did an interview and really kind of um, talked about Brian and his life. And yeah, he, he, he made a mistake. He was, he was the drunk driver, but it doesn't mean that you um, can't learn from his mistake. And we've really taken that stance and we got onto um, Facebook, which was social media at that time and got in the news and it just took off. I don't know what it was about Brian, but something that the, the nation and even the world was intrigued by what happened to him and, and our, our point to try to stop drunk driving, but, you know, we were on the Katie Kirk show and a lot of other talk shows. And, and then we started, um, Brian matters, which was a foundation we started to help, um, educate about drunk driving and my wife and I, and Kevin talks now and my daughter, Christy will go to high schools and, and talk about, um, drinking and driving and the dangers and how to prevent it. And I think we don't really try to tell kids not to drink. I mean, we're not out there telling people what to do, we're just trying to educate them about the dangers of, of drinking and especially driving. And, and we use Brian as the example and we show his, our wonderful life that we used to have and all the accomplishments that Brian had and what, how that all disappeared after he died. Yeah. And to, um, to jump in here too, like the yeah. one thing that I know, I think something that resonates is how open you guys are about it. And I mean, you obviously, you guys are both doctors and I remember you guys always were very strict about not drinking, yeah. making smart decisions. Uh, so you guys always communicated that. So it's not as if you guys didn't do that. Um, everyone can easily point the finger when it happens to someone else. But I think it was your willingness to open up your life so much to p- potentially save at least one of the, I know you guys used to say yeah. that just if you can save by talking yeah. and 
it, it was uncomfortable for you guys. Well, it's not easy to sit up there and talk about your son, you know, drinking and driving. And thank God he didn't kill anybody else other than himself. But, you know, a lot of patients, I mean, a lot of parents would want to bury that probably, you know, because it's embarrassing. And, and I was never embarrassed by it. It's life. And, and Brian was a good kid. He just made a bad decision like a lot of kids do. And so there's and one, not, there's not anything one, yeah. embarrassing about it. It's just we should use it to help other people, you know. And one decision doesn't define you. A lifetime no. of him, everyone. I think that's something else that was with Brian. At the funeral home when he was, the showings, they had the most showings they've ever had of yeah. people who came through. Um, there, There's so many outpouring of just people who only barely ever interacted with Brian, but they had positive experiences about him. Yeah. So he had a special light inside him, and he's not defined by yeah. one bad decision. Well, in his story, I mean, you can look it up. I mean, I, when we first... When this first happened, we wrote a, a letter to the graduating class of 2013. That's the year he died because uh, Brian never graduated high school because he died before he graduated. And, um, you know, we, we realized how people were really listening because, I mean, this letter, you know, was shared like 220,000 times on Facebook, which reached like 24 million people around the world. And, you know, 20, 30,000 comments came in. And that's when we really knew that it mattered to people and, and parents would read this letter to their kids and, I remember a hairdresser, everybody who came in for prom, the hairdresser would make them read the letter before they went out to prom and just things like that. And it's kind of stuck through the years. But then when Kevin started the social media with us, we've done some of that uh, work about drinking and, and, and stuff like that. And those are some of our biggest TikToks that are watched are the ones that talk about education, about alcohol and the dangers. Yeah, and when you used to do that, you barely even knew how to use Facebook. You just no, I didn't, managed no, I... to get it on there and it just was going viral. Yeah, it just went never... viral, yeah. He got on all, they were on the Katie Kirk, they were on national television. I was on for a yeah. second with you guys, but. But that's that, what I'm saying. There was something about Brian and his story that, in that I, people resonated with him more yeah. than other people. I don't know. Well, I know. I, and I, I think just how you put it and your willingness to be open and share uncomfortable things like that, but you weren't optimizing anything. It went So I always think about that. And then we never, you never had a social media strategy after that. And then mm. we only recently, once last year, when we started doing that, we're like, let's incorporate this other stuff. See, and it, it does, it, it all resonates. I think the combination of a lot of things, but, and I think it's making, it's very meaningful to us. And if it, can, it helps other people, we get messages sometimes from people that say it's made a big difference to them. Yeah. Um, and that's always, it keeps you going wanting to do that. Even like, I, I think one of the most recent ones that uh, we did a, a video on, um, Oh, I, I actually read the letter. So the letter I was talking about this year is first time I ever did it. I read the letter on social media instead of sending the letter out by letter, but I talked it and I spoke to, to people and, um, somebody had watched it and he wrote a comment and he said that, um, you know, I watched the pain in your eyes as you were reading this letter and I could see the pain as a father losing a son, how bad it was. And, and he said that I realized I could never do that to my father. And he said, I just want you to know that you saved a life, at least one life tonight, because I was getting ready to kill myself. And after I watched this, he said, I could never do that to my dad, cause the pain that you're going through. And it's stuff like that. You know, there's no, there's no monetary, you know, amount you can put yeah, on I mean, that. That's, that's like, and so we get a lot of comments about how this has really affected people and parents will context about how it's changed their child's life and viewpoint on alcohol. But so anyways, that's something we're ongoing. We're yeah. going to continue to do that in the future and talk a little bit about stuff like that. Um, um, we'll definitely, yeah, we'll definitely do deep dives, talk about more stuff like that. Cause there, there's a lot from our, the talks we give that we can incorporate, um, 
one last thing I would want to t- touch on is, um, what was it, the year after Brian died with, with all that going on, Brian Maddox, you guys started a couple months after you guys started the golf tournament, um, yeah. foundation, everything. But a year after, I think in a huge part is you, you wrote, uh, the book, your book, your only book. Well, yeah. So I, I wrote, so about a month after Brian died, I, I just couldn't, it was actually before a month. I just couldn't sleep at night. So I get on my cell phone and I started writing a book and I, I mean, I just swear to God, I just woke up one night and I, I had, I knew exactly the title of the book, what I wanted to write in the book, every chapter I knew. And I wrote it all down really quickly, the outline. And then every night I'd get up and within a month, I just, every night I would write within a month or two, I had the whole book written. And then from that point, then I got somebody to edit it and do the grammar for me and stuff like that. And then I self-published it. So um, it's been a pretty meaningful book. I mean, we give it out to high schools and it's been on the internet. I mean, it's it's sold a lot of copies, but um, that was just something I could never rewrite that book. It's very raw and emotional and you'll cry if you read it. Definitely the first couple chapters. But, um, it's a, it's pretty quick. You can read it in a couple, like two, yeah, four hours, three, three hours, three you hours, can, yeah. four hours. But so many, I mean, a couple of schools have read it, and then we've spoken at those schools: school in Texas, a school yeah. in Ohio, um, in Tennessee. We just had them Tennessee. read the book. Um, but the book is called uh, "The Night He Died: Turning Tragedy into Hope," and I think it's a combination of Brian, your life's a neurosurgeon, part of your life story, yeah. and kind of just advocacy and trying to raise awareness. Yeah. So it's really kind of, I, we describe what exactly what happened that night and, and everything that led up to it and all the aftermath after he died and what we went through as a family and how horrible it was. And then we talk about what we started doing on social media and, and alcohol. And we tried yeah. to change the laws. My wife and I went down to, to Columbus and talked to senators and, and lawmakers about changing law about certain things. So there's a lot of stuff in the book. Yeah. And I think, um, with the book too, uh, oh, sorry. It's, you can find it on, uh, brianmatters.com. That's our, our website. Um, you can buy it there. It's currently not on Amazon where it, he, so when you published it, it was just a small time publisher. Yeah. And, and during, after, you know, late last year, uh, the publisher is a small time publisher and COVID was really hard for the publishing business. So he actually closed down his shop. So we're, currently in the process of looking for a new publisher yeah. so if anybody knows a publisher really <laughs> a new publisher for our book so it's we have some copies at home that we still have that we, we still can, have we, we have i mean we still have hundreds and hundreds of copies yeah. and we fulfill our own orders but it, it's really just it, it's just about spreading awareness you can see a lot of stuff we have some articles and other things on brian matters and speak to a lot of schools and uh it's just like he said it's about if you can save one person at a time um mm-hmm the power of one person surviving has ripple effects throughout the world. But I think that's a good introductory episode. Um, well, and then, and then I think, um, yeah, I mean, so that's part of what we want to do. And then I think the other thing is this is our lifestyle. I mean, I think as a family, we've always been pretty healthy. And then I know after Brian died, I don't know, I, Kevin can speak for himself. I mean, for me, it's like Brian lost all this opportunity to do things that, that, that he can never do again. And I was thinking, I wanted to try to do something challenging and, and I've always been active, you know, and so I started, um, running and then I did a a half marathon and then a marathon and I decided I wanted to do an Ironman. And so I spent years, probably two or three years in all this training. If you want to talk, let's slow down. Let's get, let's tell people what each one is. So you started off with uh, the Disney marathon, right? Well, first I started off just doing some small runs, right? So I just started doing five K's and 10 K's, which are smaller runs. And then, then I moved up to a half marathon, which is, um, 13.1 13.1 miles. 13.1 miles. 
then I, I wanted to try a marathon. So then I trained for the marathon and I got a plan offline and I just, you know, did how many, what they told me to do every day. And, um, and then I did, did the Disney marathon and, and the kids and my wife came down with me. And that, that was, was the beginning of 2017. I remember it was when I was a sophomore at Ohio state. Uh, so you did the Disney marathon and it was super cold that morning. I remember. Yeah, it was freezing. <laughs> I was, God, we had to get up like a two or three in the morning and then you sit out there waiting for hours to start yeah. it. But then after that, I thought I'd try, um, a triathlon. So then they have, you know, there's different triathlons. There's a sprint, an Olympic, a and half and a full. Triathlon is you, yeah. you swim first, then you bike, yeah. then you run. Yeah. So, so I, um, when I started doing this, actually, I had asked Kevin, do you want to think about doing an Ironman with me? And he was in college at Ohio state and busy. And I don't think he had the time. And so, so I just started it was completely tra- different to me too. You jumped into that. And I think no, I know. it's no, I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying it's really cool, but it's, it's the world of the unknown before you do it. Now I love, like yeah. I run in marathons and I do triathlons too. But I remember when you first said it to me, I was super busy and it was just easy not to. And yeah. it feels, it, thinking about it, it seems very weird. You've, I've never, yeah. who swam, biked and ran before. <laughs> so then that, that, so I did a, I did a few of the small ones first and then, and then I did a half Ironman. And then ultimately I did the full Ironman, which is, um, 2.4 miles of swimming. So almost two and a half miles of swimming. And then you hop on your bike for 112 miles and then you get off your bike and you run a full marathon. And that's what an Ironman is. And we started like at seven in the morning, right at sunrise. And I finished at nine 25 or something. So it was like 14 hours and 25 minutes. And that's like an average time. I mean, that's not great. It's but not it's horrible, but it's more so about just doing yeah. it because it's not about just the day. I think yeah. a lot of people, it's not just about the day of the race. You show up on the day in the race and you're, you're cashing in all of the training you've done yeah. because that's where I always think I always can, I would think about that is if someone says they're too busy to do something, you were in full practice as full a neurosurgeon, practice, full trauma call. I mean, you, I, were, you dedicated your life. That no matter when I got home, whether it was at, you know, five or eight o'clock at night, whatever I had to do that day, I went out and did it no matter how long it took. And weekends I was off, I would just run and ride. I, I could never, I don't know if I could ever do that again, but it's a big time commitment, but the point of it is I just wanted to challenge myself, but in the, in the process, I got really healthy eating and, and exercising. And, you know, my wife, she's really into health. She's tried so many different health programs, but she's a, actually, I think she did her nutritionist. She she's got, got a nutrition yep. certification. And my wife could talk to you guys about macros and micros and all that kind of stuff. But then I kind of died out of that stuff and, and got busy again. And then, and then Kevin took over Then Kevin got into <laughs> health and fitness really big. And now he's doing the, the triathlons and, and well, marathons. I mean, and, but that's so. not, that's not totally true. Like I did a little stuff before, but you're not, you're not, he's not out of the race. We no. both just did an Olympic triathlon. We did the Tito Olympic triathlon. Yes. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to shout out here is she's co his coach when he was doing the triathlon training and she's coaching me now I'm doing the, Chattanooga Ironman, my first one in a couple months is Renee uh, Small here in, uh, yeah. or is Renee Small yeah, or Simon? I, I think it's Small. I think it's Renee Small. Yeah, yeah. she's uh, she's in Toledo, the Greater Toledo, Ohio area. If you ever, are, it's probably I think she does online coaching too. Yeah, Anywhere, she's done a she and she's her a great coach. Done a lot of Ironmans and they're very active constantly. Um, it's we a way talk, of life. We were just talking to her yesterday, but if anyone ever wants to jump into triathlon, I think hit her up. She's got, I think it's multi-sport, but yeah, she's a great person. But I mean, so that I think, you know, we really always wanted as a family to get into to fitness and advocate fitness and talk about healthy eating. And, you know, uh, my wife was a vegan for a year and I was a vegan for like six months and it's a lot of work. It's great food. Some of the best meals she makes are vegan. And we've tried, you know, pescatarian, which is just fish or is it no fish? 
Fish. You can have the only meat you can have is fish. Yeah, fish. And then vegetarian. And so and now we're back to just eating healthy I, and normal wheat meat. But Kevin's kind of a vegetarian now. Yeah, I mean, I eat plant-based about like 80% of the time. Because I kind of, the label is, I think, all or nothing on some of these things. Yeah. Especially, I just read out Live by P- uh, Dr. Peter Atia. I've read a bunch of stuff. I read The Whole Foods Diet by John Mackey, um, who started uh, Whole Foods. But I think there's just so many different things. It's such an in- insanely complex thing is, is diet. Everyone's yeah. so personalized. And I think finding what works for you and constantly changing your opinion as new research yeah. comes out. And But I- definitely, definitely, I mean, over the years that I've been doing this and, and Cindy's been reading about it, we've all read, I mean, I definitely think plant-based it's definitely heart healthy. It's going to extend your life. There's just no doubt. I think the data supports that yeah. completely. I think just um, not, pro- yeah. So plant-based. And I, I think just the one thing you can't argue about, you can argue about meat and these other things, but you can't argue that pro- processed food, not eating processed food is probably the number one yeah. thing that I, I think it's pretty. Because there's so many chemicals in processed food and things. That's the problem, yeah. you know? And um, that's Well, stuff- you could be, the problem I've always had, you can be a vegan and sit there and eat Oreos. So, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, that's what... And I, I think it is, it's diet and nutri- nutrition, diet and just uh, yeah. exercise can have, as a doctor, I think it's always cool. We put so much emphasis in our, especially in the United States with medicine on once someone has a problem, right. trying to fix them and insurance will pay all this money. Yeah, instead of being preventative, we wait till they <laughs> have it and then we fix it. But, um, so I think a big, you know, down the road, we're going to do podcasts definitely on, on, on healthy eating and healthy living and maybe some triathlon stuff and I'd like to have my wife, Cindy, and she'll, she'll talk your ear off about health stuff. And, and she knows all the research. Yeah. Um, I think so. we, there, there's just tons of stuff uh, beyond just neurosurgery and medicine. We'll t- definitely have tons of yeah. that. We'll have guests. Uh, we just did the um, triathlon with Bob Baxter yesterday. It'd be interesting to talk to a healthcare administrator like Yeah. Him. So Bob's the um, regional CEO of Mercy Health System, which is a big healthcare system. It's Bon Secours too. It's a big healthcare system in Ohio. And like five other states. So, so it was fun to have him doing that. That was his first triathlon. He does a lot of marathons, but yeah, we'd like to have different guests on that are interesting people that maybe you won't meet out on the streets every day and, um, and pick their, you know, also like with the cool thing is, I mean, me and my dad spend a lot of time together. Uh, and I think we both have completely different backgrounds. Clearly, uh, like I'm in business obviously, and I've always done that entrepreneurial lifestyle. Uh, and you in medicine, you can pick someone's brain the way I could never pick someone's brain and vice yeah. versa. Uh, so I think it's, that's a really cool thing to be able to do, but basically we kind of want to talk about anything that's meaningful to us or, uh, piques our curiosity and hopefully you guys enjoy. And we want to obviously keep anything you guys are interested in. We'll yeah, try. definitely in the comments. I mean, if you have certain topics that you think we could cover, um, you know, realistically, we'd be happy to talk about it. Can't talk way outside what we know, but the stuff that we do know, we can talk about. And, and one um, thing there I would say is we read a lot of the comments between my dad, myself, my mother, and my, our other family yeah. members. We read as many comments as we can. We try to reply. Um, one thing is, expect, same with the D, uh, direct messages people send to us as well. One one issue is, you know, and I think we, we get this a ton yeah. Uh, is he, my dad can't answer because of how the, you know, the United States medical and legal system are, you can't answer when people ask you for treatment, you can't yeah. prescribe. I can't, I can't really treatment. give you advice. You know, I'd have to see you as a patient in my office, um, to actually give you any advice. So I just can't give out advice, um, on social media. I mean, as much as I'd like to personalize yeah. advice. So, I mean, that's why we want 
we can give general situations and we try to create a lot of we can talk stuff. about topics i just can't talk about i can't if you ask me a question about your particular health problem, I can't really answer that for you. Yeah, I just want to address that. I just give that. you general general ideas. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to address that quick because if you think we're ignoring you, we're not. He, we, we read so many of these messages. I, we look through every single one, but the problem is we can't, we can't do anything. We can't provide treatment options. can't say anything. can't provide medical advice specifically yeah. for you. That's all. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but we're excited. This was episode number yep. one. Uh, it's got to be a one. This was it. Yeah, this this is the first one. I, uh, bear with us. Uh, we did our best uh, to make it sound and look good, and we'll try to keep going and keep improving as yeah. we go. All but, right, thanks. All right, peace out, everyone. Have a good one.